before, before I move on, I do want to just say thank you. Last night was unbelievable. I, yeah. You can tell how big the party was by how many people are not here this morning. Wow. But it's okay. Debs, Belinda, where's BJ? <laughs> Belinda, Deborah, Julia, Sarah, Dave Feldman, Jill, Angie, Stu. Okay, all of you, thanks a lot. But mainly Belinda and Deborah. Thanks so much. How cool, how cool is community? You know, one thing, when we have people that visit the, the church, like from other parts of the world, they all say without fail how much they love the sense of community. I bumped into someone in the grocery store a couple of weeks ago who was here but felt that the Lord was leading her to another community, which we gladly released, and we love that because we are the body of Christ. Uh, and she said to me, Yaku, jeez, I miss the church so much. I'm like, wow, you live closer to our church than the other one you go to. So <laughs> I didn't say that. I was just thinking that. And she's like, you know what? Um, and she was going on about amazing the churches there. And I was like, that is so cool. I genuinely inside my soul was rejoicing. I was like, that is amazing. But she said, and she said to me, but you know what? No matter how hard they try, they just can't get that sense of community. I was like, what? Excuse me? She said, that sense of community that's at Red Hill, and I love that. Uh, but I do, feel that there's, I do feel that there's, like with everything in life, there's a, there's a flip side of the coin to that reality. Because we don't primarily exist for community. We, we, we exist for community because only in community is the gospel really lived out and fleshed out. When we actually have the opportunity to leave, but we stay, or to be upset, but we forgive, or to harbor offense, but we choose to lay our lives down. It's only in community where that actually happens, or doesn't happen. But, so the community is important, and what I'm about to say does not mean that I'm negating the power of what God is doing with us and knitting our hearts together. But there's another element of community that is crucial. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, they were all together in one place, waiting, because Jesus said to them, don't do anything, don't go anywhere, wait for me. So they waited. It's a substantial time after he was raised from the dead, but they waited. And one day they were together like this in the upper room, and they were singing songs of remembering the, the goodness of God. And suddenly, because God takes a long time to do something suddenly, the power fell among them like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You guys know the story. Tongues of fire separated, came upon them, and they spoke in all kinds of languages, current languages of the day. So much so that the people who were gathering in Jerusalem understood these languages and were blown away because they were declaring the glory and the greatness of God. So much so that in the next chapter they fell on their knees and said, said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter stood there on those famous steps and declared this praised basically scripture from beginning to end. It's amazing. Community was shaped in a very powerful, real way. But it took them five years. And persecution, being burnt at the stake, torn apart by lions, intentionally targeted as followers of Christ before they would go. So for me, in North America in particular, we, if I look at your lives and your faces and your personalities, it's, it's easy to get along with you. It's easy for us to be together. 
Jesus said, how, how amazing is it to love those who love you? It's like easy. But to love those who don't love you is really where the proof of the pudding is and the reality of the glory of the gospel. So the flip side of community, which we have, and God is continuing to grow that. Some might think we don't, but it's all right. Press in. Keep pressing in. Is mission. Say it with me, please. Mission. Mission. So just what I felt in the prayer meeting this morning is that there are people on mountaintops in our community and there are people in the valley in our community and there are people indifferent in the middle just going along but I felt the Lord say that the people on the mountaintops are thirsty longing for me and the water is only found in the valley unless you find some super pool in the top of a mountain you need to descend into the valley and God has gifted us as a community I do believe that we potentially can plant a hundred churches but the gifts, without the depth of character, becomes the very thing that, 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 that trips us. Community, without a mission, becomes the very thing that dupes us into a false reality. So that all we do is inward, 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 and we come more in love. I mean, I love John Queen and so much, I don't think I can love him more. But, uh, but an overdeveloped sense of community, without, without mission... It dupes us into thinking we can do more, more, more. And all it does, it, it, it produces at the end of it a resentment. Like the Dead Sea is the only sea that's called the Dead Sea on the planet Earth because it has no outlet. Water keeps flowing in, but everything in it dies. They try to market it as a salt mine and all those cool, beautiful things. And the diving apparently is amazing, but it has a short lifespan. It's about to die. The dark night of the soul, the valley, the valley that uh, Adela prayed about this morning, the valley is what each one of us must go through. It's there, it's there we will find the nourishment. In community. Why? To go, to head out, to go up again. And I love that scripture, Second Corinthians 2, that Phil read this morning in prayer. If you don't come in time for prayer, I'm telling you, you're missing half the service. Probably three quarters of the service. Focus, <clears throat> what was it, verse 14, right? Verse 14. Okay, I just want to read this quickly to you because it was so poignant. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. People breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation. An aroma redolent with life. What a beautiful word. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. This is terrific. This is a huge responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? No, but at least we don't take God's word and water it down, and then they could take it to the street to sell it as cheap merchandise. We stand in Christ's presence. We stop in Christ's presence. We slow down. We wait. We, we train the affections of our heart. It's our only hope, guys. I'm, I'm not kidding you. To live with the presence. And I know I've said this a hundred times. Moses did not go, and he promised God. He said, God, I will not go from this place unless you go ahead of me. Your presence. 
So they didn't journey around pop culture. They didn't journey around cool music, smoke machines, or whatever is cool and trendy. They journeyed around the presence of God. Guys, the sooner we get that, I think we got it, but the more we remember that, that how in the presence of God our lives are transformed, our hearts are transformed, our faith rises, our thirsts are quenched, and we re- in the presence of God there is automatically this incredible commissioning. The presence of God is not just a soothing internal self-therapy session. No, it is to literally empower us to be this fragrance. There's a mission field all over the world. I love talking to some people about their stories and so on about the mission field. I spoke this, this week with a guy who came to fix our water pump downstairs. It broke down. And... Um, and um, he is just from a local plumbing company in Milton here. And, um, I mean, obviously he's coming to a church, you know. So, hey, what happens here? This is such a beautiful space. And I spoke a bit about, about the community and so on. And um, turns out this guy has a, a degree in computer programming. I'm like, and you're a plumber? He's like, yeah, it's actually quite similar. Um, I was like, <laughs> it is? <laughs> it's similar? Uh, anyway, we, t- we, t- we, just, we just shared, I just shared within the story of God and the community and what life is all about. And I still can't remember what I said to this guy. But the bottom line is this. In Syria today, the, the, there's a massive group of displaced people. In the midst of Syria, there are, there are people, okay? I'm going to paint the extreme picture because I'm trying to make a point here of what the potency is and the relevance is of this, of this reality, the gospel that we carry, this fragrance of life that we carry wherever we go. There are guys in the Syrian refugee camps. There are millions of people displaced in the Middle East, if you didn't know that. We live in history in a time where more people are displaced than ever before in the history of the earth. There are Christians, followers of Christ, in the midst of those people, planting, sharing, being the fragrance of Christ. An extreme example. So this guy and I, was talk- we were talking about the church, and he was telling me how aggressively agnostic he was. And now for the first time in the last six months, he's quoting these philosophers he's read. He's starting to see the purpose of the church. And he says, in particular, the church and what is happening in China. Oh, I came alive. I came alive because he, he's saying, like, yes, you cannot deny that there's something about Jesus. And he's standing in front of me, talking to me as a plumber with, a, with an IT degree, with a t- tear that he's trying to not cry, saying that you can't deny that God is real if you just look at China. I was like, what do you think about China? What do you know about China? He says, you won't believe it. There's a church in China. They're completely underground. I was like, what? Tell me more. (laughs) And you can't believe they they can't keep up with the growth. It's unbelievable how the growth is happening. Do you know there are people in the underground church of China who still in this moment fear for their lives. There are pastors who declared themselves pastors and have preached the gospel in China that are in prison, probably for the rest of their lives still. It's extreme. But there's another mission, guys. There's another mission. It's you and I, every day, on the train, on the tube, on the bus, in our workplace, with everybody that comes in, our, in contact with us. This young plumber was probably God's divine plan that that geezer went because his heart was, he was, his heart was, was, came alive. And I said very little, believe it or not. He said a lot. But I've got to believe. You know, there are two things that I wrote down here about mission, that mission hinges on. Number one, and that's what Catherine said this morning. Mission, the sense of mission, the urgency that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. 
And that we are the catalyst to that reality. We are the ones. We are the ones. So stop hyper-focusing on our imperfections. Because I think, and this is just my point, I didn't read this anywhere, the number one thing that stops and kills mission is identity. That we believe what the world says we are. More than we believe what God says we are. Because we've forgotten what God has done in our lives. And that's a wonderful thing of community and mission working together. Because I can say, Al, remember what God did then. And then he says, yes, I do. And his faith is straight. And he says the same to me. And so we do that. We remind each other of who God says we are. Because the enemy wants in all his power to bring you down to a place where you believe that you're a loser. That you're a failure. There's no way that God could possibly ever use you. You have no character. You have no substance. I was reading this, 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 this week, um, Isaiah, when he, when he killed the prophets of Baal. It was 800 or so. He's a fierce guy. How many was it? Yeah. Elijah, Elijah. Isaiah, Elijah, sorry. I'm not a false teacher. Trust me, I'm a son of God. Elijah killed all these prophets. And the very next day, he hears a message from a woman he'd never met. It says, I don't care how many prophets you killed before the sun sets tomorrow. I'm going to find you and I'm going to slaughter you. And you know what? He peed his pants and he ran. And he ran into the desert. One day into the desert, he said to his servant, you stay here, I've got to go by myself. And he ran into the desert for a whole day's journey. And he found a bush and he lay under the bush. He crawled under the bush and he says, God, just kill me now. I don't want to live. I am just like my dad. Don't read it. It says, I am no better than my ancestor. If you break that down, it says, I'm no better than the son of the, father, of the house of my father. Which is, I'm just like my dad. Guys, there's a high call on our lives. You don't even have, you've been qualified by the cross of Christ. Don't entertain anything that is contrary to that reality in your life. Don't entertain it. Weigh it. Sift it. Sift it through the word of God. And then say, I am a son of God. I bear the image of God. This young guy, okay, not to harper on about it. He, says, he said to me, um, Jacob, do you think, that's how he said my name. Do you think that we all have a common soul? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, um, like we all have something in common. Every human being, everyone from Ethiopia to China. And everybody has a common soul. I said, yeah, you could call it a common soul. But you know what it is? We have all been created in the image and the likeness of God. And eternity is in your heart right now. He's like, I know, I can feel it. I don't understand it, but I can feel it. I'm like, yeah, it's in there. And you know what's happening? God is awakening that. That's Ecclesiastes, right? Eternity in the heart of every man. Who are the ones that ignite that? You are. You are. You are the ones to ignite that. You don't have to walk in with your big KJV and smash people on the side of the head, quoting scriptures, reiterating how bad they have fallen, how fake they are. But the love of God that compels us, in which Christ commands us to be rooted and established, established, is the thing that produces the fragrance in your life. Know who you are. Know who you are. If you fall, you will arise. Why are you righteous? That is who you are. Where is your position? You are positioned in Christ. It is your position of victory. We are living from victory, not unto victory. 
True? Adela, scream something. Yes, our identity. I'm wrapping it up. That's my first point. I've got 229 points. Identity. Who are you because of what God says over you? If you still think that God hates you, is angry with you, and is looking for areas for you to fail because he's, he's very irate and he wants to beat you, you have a misunderstanding of God, and I'm here to tell you the gospel today. He's not like that. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 says he is the exact representation of the Father in the exact image. If you want to know what he's like, look at the life of Jesus. Read the gospels. It's life-giving. Number two. Who has sent us on this mission? God. He commissioned us. He trusts us enough to commission us. And I do feel that we live in a narcissistic worldview. If you look at Titus, just talking this week a little bit with some guys here, if you look at how Paul described eldership to Titus in the place that he was at, the, the description of the, of, the, of the Christian, of the Christian leader, was the antithesis of society. It was the exact mirror image opposite of society. We are called to be the opposite of society that we lived in. But our cultural view has been shaped by thousands, thousands of songs and TV shows and talk shows and, and cultural, cultural paradigms that have been created that we have inevitably believed a certain reality that is contrary to Scripture. That is why God commissions us, commission to be on mission. If you ask a young... Like, when were the Vikings? Like... In the past, long, long ago, okay, the Vikings. I mean, I come from the Viking heritage, I should know that. You can see it by my looks, I mean, jokes. Where's Craig Watkins when you need him to? The Vikings, there was a young Viking guy, and he's sitting just thinking next to the fire after he had beaten a goat to death and is now frying it, yanking it out of his teeth. And he thinks to himself, wow, I really just love killing people. And he says to his dad, Dad, I love to kill people. What do you think his dad would say? Very good, my son. Take my sword and go forth. Okay? Why am I telling you that? Because that culture says that killing people is cool. It's good. It's right. Can you imagine a young boy in Milton sitting in his basement and says to his mom, Mom, I really love to kill people. His mom would call the cops or, the, or he'd go for therapy or he'd go to jail. Why? Because we live in a different culture where that is no longer cool, right? So that cultural paradigm is a very real thing. What cultural paradigm? And that's why we have been commissioned with this glorious good news. To create, in fact, a brand new culture to the current culture. I'm done. When we moved to the Virgin Islands, the people that planted us out, the team planted us out, one of the ladies, Fiona Desfontaine, said to Kath and I, when you get to the island, we'd never, we'd never really planted so far away. We'd been involved with plants in, in Africa, and that was our context, and we understood that. And, um, and, and it in itself had its own, own cultural challenges. Remember when we did all the weddings in Zimbabwe? One guy had had 20 wives. We, you know, anyway... 
We brought the kingdom. What did the kingdom look like there? Okay, you can't have 20 wives. Well, what do we do with the other wives then? Okay, choose the one you married first. Provide for the other wives. You can no longer sleep with them. You can no longer have children with them. You have one wife. Why? Because the kingdom has now become the reality. The kingdom of heaven has now found a cultural context in the current culture, which is contrary to the current culture. It brings change. It brings upheaval. But it brings life. And it's sustainable. You get it? You get it? Now think, all the while, think what in our culture has duped us, has bamboozled us, has blinded us, to believe that we are something that God does not say we are, and that has locked us in a perpetual cycle of utter hopelessness, where we now have taken on that reality, and it has become our identity. I think as sensible human beings in this first world context, we should be able to do that. Fiona said, when you get to the island, write down seven things or ten things about the culture that you think are contrary to the kingdom culture. And then once a year after that, you visit it. And it hit me in a very personal way. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but there was a situation that I wanted to turn a blind eye to in the church. Because I thought, oh, they really love each other. But I was wobbling in the culture. Hence, you've got to know who you are, identity. You've got to know who has sent you. Community without mission is dangerous. We have this treasure in jars of clay that wherever we go, if it's as extreme as the refugee, Syrian refugee camps, or the underground church in China, or if it's Starbucks and Milton next to Superstore, wherever you go, you are releasing the fragrance of Christ because of who you are in Christ. Remember what he says about you. Remember what he says. It doesn't change. He doesn't waver. It doesn't falter. If you think, no, uh, Friends, you know the gifts of God are so important to us, but those gifts must come with that weighty depth of character. And those are found in the dark nights of the soul, the valleys. There you'll find the water to quench the thirst of your soul in the darkness, in the quietness, when you slow down, when you stop. And that's why we sound like a stuck record about this rest thing. Because it's countercultural. People don't like to hear that at all. Because our identities are locked up in how busy we are. And finally, finally... Pete Scazzera writes this thing about these two circles. Jeez, it's challenging. It's just two circles on a page that he draws. The one circle is called being with God. The other circle is called doing for God. How big, are, how big is your being with God circle and how big is your doing for God circle? I think they should be like more or less the same size. Are you guys ready to worship? You feel full of faith? You are called, by the way, worshippers of the living God. Okay. All right, let's stand together. Give us a minute just to set up stuff here.